Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 279 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Sarah Kuchera, and we are going to talk Ayurveda. It's been a while since I've done an Ayurveda episode, and I miss it. I miss it so much. So I was really excited to learn that Sarah's new book was recently published. It's called The Seven Ways of Ayurveda. You may remember Sarah from a previous episode where we talked about her previous book, which is called The Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. And I went back and listened to that episode when I was prepping for this one. And there's so many good ideas in that episode. You should definitely go back and listen. She talks all about pranic budget. She talks about different times of day and, you know, the different doshas that are dominant at different times of day. This book focuses more on the emotional and behavioral characteristics of each dosha. And she includes not just the three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha, but the seven, right? So because they can pair up. So you can be vata, pitta, or pitta, kapha, or anyway, you're going to learn all about it in the interview. And I loved the book. Sarah's a great writer. I think she has She's incredibly skillful at taking all that she's learned from the tradition. And she studied with Dr. Vasant Laud, who is a, a, a very well-known traditional Ayurvedic doctor, and really applying it in practical and, and relatable and understandable ways to our everyday life. So the book covers your kind of stress response according to your dosha, your communication style, how you might interact with other family members what to do if there's conflict between family members. She also has chapters on your dosha type at work and your dosha type in love. I found all of it to be really insightful and useful, and I always enjoy connecting with Sarah. She's just very insightful, and I know that you will enjoy the interview. Before I jump over to that, I just wanted to let you all know that there's one more training that Jason's going to do in 2022. And that is he's going to rerun his art of yoga sequencing online course in early November. So if you're interested in that, it's really kind of it's I think his signature course, it's like the most popular one. And it's fantastic. And you can join the waitlist at learn.jasonyoga.com slash sequencing. And if you join the waitlist, you will be the first to know when it goes on sale and just what the details are. We're going to run it a little bit differently this year, give you a couple of options. So go jump on the waitlist and you'll get all the info as soon as I as soon as I get it all together, all gathered together, I will send it out to you. Okay, enjoy the interview with Sarah. It's so good to see you again, Sarah. I was so excited to get a new book from you. Last time you were here, we talked about your previous book, which really focused on self-care and Ayurveda. And this one is focuses more on psychology and the our, our mental formations and tendencies and then our behavior. So what was it that inspired you to do this focus this time? A few reasons. A big one is that I feel like the emotional mental components are such a big piece within Ayurveda, but they kind of get left out. They really it's do. Huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's such a big thing. So, you know, we get drawn into things like food lists and herbs and and even like in my previous book, the different rituals and routines, which are really, really wonderful. But then it's like, well, what about everything else is happening on the inside? And all those things that Ayurveda can really teach you. And in that same vein, that too offers another entry point for people. Because if you're not one that wants to modify your diet, or you're not interested in using different oils or spices or herbs or whatnot, then you kind of get left out, right? Mm -hmm. Like you think Ayurveda isn't for me because I don't want to eat this way. But it's like, actually, (laughs) there's still a lot of things that you can gain from these different perspectives. So that's kind of the biggest, those are the biggest pieces. And with that same notion about the emotional things sort of getting left out is that you can't have physical health without emotional and mental health. You can't have mental health, you know, like it's both ways. Yeah. And so I just felt like, you know, it's really time that we 
look at this in a way, again, that's accessible, that it's not just like an ancient text that's sort of stating things in a way that are still relevant, I guess, but in ways that don't sound as relevant or applicable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Other texts can be a bit more dense to wade through. And I feel like you do such a good job of writing things in a really clear but reflective way. I will say, you know, I agree with you that there really isn't anything else out there that that really looks as deeply at things through this lens as this book does. And, you know, in the past for me, it was always like, oh, okay, Pitta, Pitta's fiery. So they have like a fiery temper, they're short temper, la la la. Oh, you know, it was, it was much more generalized. And so when I was reading through, well, first of all, I, I think I finally identified my dominant dosha because I was always torn between Vata and Pitta for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm a Vata Pitta. Um, (laughs) When you, when I was reading through the different parts, like you, you talk about, you know, communication style for different dominant doshas and stress kind of natural stress response. I fault with some of them, like you had gotten inside my brain, (laughs) which is always (laughs) such an amazing thing when you, when you read something and you're like, Oh my God, this is so totally me. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So, you know, it's called the seven ways of Ayurveda. And so you kind of start by outlining the seven possible dominant doshas. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The dosha combination. Okay. The dosha combinations. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want to just, I know we're not going to go through like how to find out your dosha and everything in this interview, because that would take us like the whole interview. Um, and you also have a quiz in the book for people who are curious and, you know, not sure what their, what their dominant is, but I just want to kind of go through them because we will refer to them. So mm-hmm. it's it could be Vata or Pitta, or I don't know if you say Kappa or Kappa, Kappa. It's, people- kappa. it's like you have something on your lip that you're trying to get off. Okay. <laughs> kappa. Kappa. Yeah. Then Vata Pitta as a combo, Pitta Kappa as a combo. Vata Kapha or Tridoshic, the Tridoshic unicorn, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have one question. It's like a very um, self-motivated question, which is I think of myself as Vata Pitta, and I actually think of my daughter as Pitta Vata, mm-hmm. but that isn't a combo. <laughs> so I'm wondering why that's not mm-hmm. a combo or if it just really falls under Vata Pitta. Yeah. Somehow I knew this was going to be your question. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also because as you were talking about the seven combinations, I felt like inserting myself in a way and saying, however, but there is also this. (laughs) So if you look at it this way, that Vata, Pitta, Kampa, like if you were to say that you are Vata, you're basically stating that Vata is your most predominant. If you say your pitta, your pitta is most predominant. And of course, you still have the other doshas with it. When you say your vata pitta, you're saying that those two are most predominant, right? So they are outshining the third. You can be more of one still than the okay. other, but it's it's like competing. So you're definitely correct in saying like you feel your vata pitta, you feel she's Pitta Vata, that is correct. However, you get into so many nuances. Like it's so hard to sort of explain the difference between like what's a Vata Pitta, what's a Pitta Vata like. Aside from just like you're going to have a few more qualities of one, right? But again, there's still so much more of those two than there is a third. So another reason why I say Vata Pitta is because I have always learned traditionally to say anytime you say the three doshas you say vata pitta kapha you say them in that order and so in labeling them like in in not getting into the nuances in of saying like what's a pitta vata versus a vata pitta they're said in that way vata pitta pitta kapha vata kapha because that being instilled in me and that that's the way that you say that's the order that they go in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the combos 
you could still be slightly more dominant in one or, or the other, or you could mm-hmm. be more dominant in one physically and more mm-hmm. dominant in the other one, perhaps mentally. Like, right. That, is that the case as well? Like there's so many different yes. ways to slice and dice yes. a person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and I think too, that that's, that is also enlisting like the, the various reasons as to why I felt motivated to write this is that sometimes we don't connect. Like we recognize the exterior, like we can look in a mirror, we can see like what our body shape and type is like, or what our bone structure is like, but what we really feel is what's on the inside. And so I think we, we can resonate with what our dosha is when someone starts to really explain like, Hey, this is what your tendencies are. So though you might show up in the world, like maybe in terms of combinations, you might be like, well, I'm Vata Pitta, but I, you know, like my mind has tendencies that are more like Vata. My body is reflective of more of the Pitta tendencies, but both my mind and my body have both of them. Yeah. 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 And then (laughs) because it is complicated to kind of well, for, perhaps it's not complicated for everybody. I think my husband is like a straight up pitta. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he would agree with me, but I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, it's but, possible. Yeah. But because it is tricky, you know, what's your recommendation for people who, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, but like for people who feel like, well, this might be it, but what if I'm, what if I'm wrong about what my mm-hmm. dominant dosha is? Yeah. I have a text box, a call out box in the book that says, what if I get my dosha wrong? Because you can see, like, as I'm writing this, I can see people sort of spiraling to this panic or I'm panicking as I'm writing, thinking, what if someone goes into this thinking that they're a straight up pitta, but they're not, you know, the thing is, is that you can, in terms of the book, like you can learn as you go throughout about each component. So if I learn what my, what vata tendencies I have or what pitta tendencies I have or what kapha tendencies I have, I'm still learning about myself, right? The other thing is that, and this book is not emphasizing this as much, is that still what is always most important is our imbalance. So our dosha is important, our inherent constitution, our prakriti, that which was determined upon conception, how we're going to be. It's like the blueprint that's most important, or that's important for like understanding what sort of path we might be on. But what's always most important is the now. Mm -hmm. And so if you read through and you have your dosha wrong, you can still look at this as a tool, your, what you understand about yourself as a tool for how you can be or observe in the now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I was always taught that as well. And I think it is a really valuable like touchstone, just like, mm-hmm. yeah, where are you right now? Yeah. And thinking of it this way too, that emotional, mental, behavioral tendencies if I were to say someone's reading this book and they think that they are a pitta and a pitta has more tendencies toward being angry or being critical or being judgmental, is it really that bad if someone goes into this thinking that they're a pitta and they're receiving guidance on how to manage anger, how to manage being overly critical? Like that, I don't see as being overly detrimental. Because it's still helping you bring awareness to things that you might need to know about yourself or need to know about someone else Mm -hmm. um, that may not align always with your constitution, with your dosha. When it comes to physical things, I see how getting your dosha wrong, so to speak, could feel a little harsher because it might really, you know, if I think that I am a kampa Mm -hmm. and I start to eat only light, dry foods, like that feels detrimental to me. Right. Right. And the thing is though, if that were the case, you would kind of, you would have some um, noticeable 
responses physically, right? Like your digestion would yeah. be really off and totally. you yeah. wouldn't really be able to sleep well yeah. and you yeah. just would feel, you know, yeah. like let's say you were um, a vata and you were, or you were a kapha and you were eating, mm-hmm. you thought you were a vata and so you were eating like heavy, you would feel like heavy and yeah, yeah, pulled, yeah, yeah. You're going to kind of go, huh? And not that I want someone to, to do something and feel bad and then say like, but you learned from that, didn't you? But actually you kind of did, like you sort of learn, like, you know, that doesn't work well with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so I think there's a few things. One is that, okay, if you're worried that you might not have your dosha, right. Check in with a friend. Like, what do they think? Cause sometimes your friends and family know better. Like they can call you out on your stuff. Like you are calling out your husband. (laughs) I'm saying it quietly. I know. Um, (laughs) Or you, so you might check in with someone. You might also just say, you know, I'm going to try this dosha on for size. Like I, I think this is what I am, but on the chance that I might be wrong, let's just, let's just present to the world in this way and see Mm -hmm. what happens. And it's, you're going to learn. And and I, again, think there's nothing wrong with developing more self-awareness, even if, you know, something maybe less than favorable happens along right. the way. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of like how you point that out in the book. Like, this is really about just continuing to hone your self-awareness to make, you know, your life more enjoyable and more balanced and to make your interactions with others more, um, you know, easeful. It's not about like, getting every, you know, and, and it might take a bit of, because you're honing your self-awareness, like, except that it's a process and a journey and you might not know immediately right away. I feel like forever, I just thought I was a straight up Vata. You know, I just really, yeah, that's just, I know now that that's just not the case. I think part of it is I know because I've had to be so much more routine having a child, like raising a child, I've had to Mm -hmm. adhere more to routines and I see how much I thrive from that and how it's like actually, yeah. So that also some of my like controlling nature and, you know, um, (laughs) so, so that's been, that's definitely taken me some time as well. One of the things that I think you, that I had never really read about in the way that you write about it is this concept of the light and the shadow sides of of ourselves and and our doshas. Mm -hmm. And there's one section where you're kind of introducing this idea and you talk about how motivation or fear kind of are the, it's like the light switch between our light Mm -hmm. and our shadow sides. Could you explain that in a little Mm -hmm. bit better than I am doing right now? (laughs) I think you're doing a great job. (laughs) So light and shadow is a gentler way. And I think a more genuine way of saying like what we might call our positive or negative traits, right? The things that we might view as positive or negative, but we also know that there really isn't a positive and negative, right? There might be things that we don't love about ourselves or that we know kind of interfere with relationships or work, but they fuel, they exist because they're either sort of fueling something or they exist because they exist, they coexist. Like it's happening in harmony um, or at the same time simultaneously as something else that we might consider like our light, a positive, positive quality. So for people that, for example, say, I hate having a schedule, you know, I don't do well with schedules. I hate it. I can't stick to it. I can't get anywhere on time. But that person is also incredibly creative and spontaneous and has these things that really connect with that same reason that they can't have a schedule that's that switch that you're talking about. So like the motivation to not have a schedule for these people is that they want to be spontaneous, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or that they want to do something from what they feel like doing. Like, what does my energy feel like right now? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is absolutely a light, right? That's like their strength. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total strength. Yeah. 
And so what gives you your light is also giving you your shadow. Right. Yeah. In the quite, in the quite the literal sense. And in between that is really like, what is driving you? Like uh-huh. pit, to come back to pittas, I feel like I'm always picking on pittas, but it's, I guess it's just <laughs> such an easy, <laughs> it's just an easy one. Um, pittas have a strong motivation around goals and productivity and just like, you know, the end, they want to yep. see something through. So that motivator really helps them pay attention to details, helps them with focus. But on the shadow side of that is like, they might be workaholics or they might push people aside or become overly critical yeah. because that's what their primary focus is. Right. And at the right. heart of that, that drive of being productive is the fear of failure. Right, 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 right. I wonder if you find in your practice, because I was just thinking this as I was reading the book, that I know very few kappa people. And I I wonder if it's because, like, I can think of one good friend. Um, She is definitely. But, and I wonder if some, if a lot of it is just like cultural that our society and our culture just doesn't value it. So uh, as overtly, so all of the poor kappa people have to like, you know, shapeshift into being more pitta or vata. But yeah, what do you see in your own practice when you're, when you're um, meeting people about, Mm -hmm. you know, around kappa? Probably the least of the, like the dosha I see the least, the prakriti, the inherent constitution I see the least is kappa. Yeah. Yeah, Like just like kappa, the other two constitutions are, or doshas are not like as high, of course, still exist. But it is what I see the least. And I do think that culture has a lot to do with it. Culture in the sense of our society Mm -hmm. in just to say like the Western world as one example, but then also like the United States Mm -hmm. and what our society and as as a culture of living here is like, because we don't value the things that are really inherent with Kappa. Yeah. And so on one hand, that's great for kaffas because that kind of, they, it's hard for them to get out of balance, right? Because if they really would rather just kind of stay in and hang out and be comfortable and not take any risks and have, have some ice cream before bed, you know, that'd be great. But that is not at all what our society is telling us to do. It's the opposite. So so in some ways, society sort of brings balance to them. That's also bad for them because they're having to, like society isn't feeding them. Yeah. But for the rest of us who are not kappa, society isn't really balancing us. It's just you know? beating us down. Like it it's in the wash, wash cycle. Just like, yeah, rah, it's depleting rah, us rah. and it is burning us <laughs> up. But it is what I see the least. I, I think also... For the people that I have seen that are kaffas, um, when you describe what a kaffa is from the gunas, those descriptive terms, it's dull, static, soft. Like it doesn't sound like something that you want to embrace. Mm. And so I think sometimes, again, from societal pressures, you might actually know kaffas, but maybe they're not really leaning into their true self because of those things. I'm not just saying because they read something that said, this is what they're described as, but if society views them as that, why would you want to, why would you want to present as that to yeah. the world? Yeah. So you might have some hidden compas in your life. Yeah. For sure. What would you say just for my people who are listening, who are like, well, mm-hmm. I might be kappa, but I don't want to be put down here. <laughs> like what are, what are, what are the positive attributes? Like what, yeah. what would be a, a more positive reading than people are maybe used to seeing? So they're so wonderful. And that's what's so sad about it being viewed as something that maybe like, it's just not revered, I guess, but it's so wonderful because they're the most caring, compassionate, nurturing, like give you the shirt off your back kind of people. They are committed. They are loyal. They're going to stick. And again, like to their detriment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they could be used as a doormat because they're so compassionate and like they'll keep coming back because they're mm-hmm. so committed to you. You can count on them for anything, you know, 
they might yeah. be a little slow to mm-hmm. come around, but like they are going to show up like time and time again. Yeah. They're just, they're great. Like it's, it's funny. Cause like, I think of the doshas as like children and I shouldn't really have a favorite dosha, but when you put kapha in with anything, to me, it makes it like, that's like the secret sauce. <laughs> uh-huh. That's good to know. Yeah yeah. 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 As you're, as you were talking about it, I realized my father-in-law, my father-in-law is the other kapha I know. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah. yeah, he's literally the most solid. He talks a little bit slowly. He mm-hmm. moves a little bit slowly. He's really a homebody. I mean, to his detriment, like at this mm-hmm. point in life, it's really hard to get him to kind of get moving. Um, but he is the sweetest person and he's actually mm-hmm. also really quiet. So for the longest time, um, I didn't know his opinion of me at all. And then like, if there were family gatherings and like, I couldn't make it or something, he would, he would always be the one who was like, Oh, we missed you. Where were you? Oh, like yeah, he is see? the sweet. So sweet. He loves yeah. me. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. 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 And I should also point out but because this book that we're talking about is focusing on the, the mental and emotional and the non-tangible, I guess. I do want to point out though, that it, kappas are like the strongest in terms of immunity and the things that they can withstand. Hmm. Kappa in terms of, um, there's a word in Ayurveda that's called ojas, which is sort of like our vitality and our health reserves and what makes us like glow and shine. And that is a kappa sort of substance it's a kapha trait and so people are very much drawn to kaphas for mm-hmm. that it's like it's like they're people are va- they're like oh just vampires like uh-huh. coming after they're oh just like you have you love being around them because they're going to laugh at everything you say yeah you know they're going to make you feel good and it's sort of like you just like just being around them helps you feed your own ojas because they have so much of it to give. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the Buddha was a kapha. Ooh, that's a kapha belly. Kind of right. Thing. You know, and just like, just <laughs> yeah. that super open, <clears throat> compassionate, yet yeah. grounded energy. Yeah. I mean, not that but he always soft, was. Yeah. Right? But yeah. like, even just the figure of being like this sturdy, steady, that looks very, very grounded and rooted mm-hmm. from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. But like just that anchor, that softness is such a Kothic quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back to like the shadow and the light because I'm very curious. I feel like there are so many ways when we start to think about our tendencies, we can get into like trying to fix ourselves. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? Like I was thinking of, I think it was Suzuki Roshi who said, you're perfect just as you are. And there's always room for improvement, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which I think is so funny. Um, So, so like, where do we, how do we think about when we think about, you know, our natural constitution and our tendencies, and then we think about the shadow and the light, what do we do with the shadow, right? Like how much does Ayurveda believe in like, shifting versus kind of accommodating our shadow Mm -hmm. sides. If you think of it in the way that I'm just shifting this back to physical to make a, like a quick comparison that that shadow side may be something like, maybe I shouldn't make this comparison, but let's say that you have a more delicate structure. You can't change that. Right. So if you physically have a more delicate tr- delicate structure, you have to you have to accommodate that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you change what you do. Mm-hmm. You maybe aren't into high intensity workouts because your structure can't support that. Mm-hmm. So it's the same within the mental emotional behavioral side is that you learn to accommodate, but it doesn't mean you don't try, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something that you can say like I offer myself grace for wanting to do the best that I can do and like staying up and working to the nth hour and, you know, burning the can, like, that's great. However, I also have to accommodate and make sure that I can stay healthy. And so you're not trying to change, but you're trying to be aware Mm -hmm. and 
that awareness is what helps you both offer yourself grace and, you know, other people as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense to me. And yes, I mean, the, the idea is to take what we've got and learn to manage ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. just, you know, even yeah. beyond diarrhea, I mean, it's like, yeah, take what we've got, learn about it and manage ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, Jason and I'll be married for 14 years in a month. And I think all the time about how he was really the first, like, you know, intimate relationship that I had who he just accepted all of me, like all of the, he's never been like, oh, I just wish you weren't so anxious or, oh, I just wish you could do X, Y, or Z, or I wish you could, you know, I wish you were more athletic or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, and so it's like, yeah, you, you do have to, well, you don't have to, but it's just interesting to me to think about how important it is to become self-aware, manage things, and then accept them so that you can then accept others as well. 100%. And it's like the practice in our own awareness is giving us that awareness of others and helping to live in harmony with someone for 14 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Happily for 14 years. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not something that was meant to be changed. It's just to know. And if you try to change it, it's sort of like, um, you know, with circadian cycles, most of us should be on this 24 hour clock and we're set to it, but there's outliers. There are people that their clock is off. If that person tries to become a morning person and they're not, they won't feel good. Right. Mm. So there's something to be said about that managing and accommodating also in a way where it's okay. Yes try, try to keep a schedule, do your best to show up on time. However, you know, Mm -hmm. don't overcommit because you know that, you know, so you also have to know like where, what's the fine line between overdoing to a point where it's no longer you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Mm -hmm. almost like, like I am incredibly clumsy somehow. Like I will trip every time I walk, go for walks, which is several times a day (laughs) and you know I could get frustrated at the fact that I'm constantly tripping or I can just be like that's funny you know like Mm -hmm. it's like a movie that playing out in my head and so if you have that viewpoint where it's like huh like there I go again yeah I'm trying I'm really trying that's much healthier totally the rigid feeling of like trying to shape yourself into something that you're not yeah it is it's true and when you can laugh at yourself it makes everything so much easier. I like my example of that is I am ter- I get lost like when I'm driving. <laughs> I'm terrible at getting anywhere. <clears throat> I will tell people if I have to meet them at a new place, like I just am gonna warn you that I'm gonna leave with plenty of time, but that doesn't mean I will get there on time because I will probably get lost. It's so hard for me. That's the perfect example. That is like to a T an example of exactly how like you have recognized this is a shadow side for you, but you're trying. Yeah. We actually, others know. (laughs) Yeah. Bringing it back to my relationship really briefly. This is actually a situation where finally in the past year. So Jason really likes to drive when the two of us are together and he kind of insists on me navigating instead of just sort of (laughs) mapping it out ahead of time. And I always get us lost. He's always like, is it bear right or stay straight, bear right or stay straight. And I'm like straight. And then I'm looking right at the thing and he's like, it was bear right, you know, and we'll be in the middle of LA traffic or whatever. And, and so recently I just said like, you know, I'm just not good at this. Like I can't, I just actually can't do it. I try really hard and I can't do it. And so that was a huge relief for both of us. Like, yeah, I don't have to try to pretend I can do this anymore. Like just relax around it and everyone's going to be happier. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. So you do talk about applying all of this information to your life and your work and your love life. We've talked a little bit about kind of like love and partnership, but I really love the idea, especially right now in this post-COVID world, when I think there is more opportunity to create a workplace situation that works for you and your constitution. 
I love the idea of using Ayurvedic principles to kind of carve out or mentally envision and create a workplace that works for mm-hmm. you. So do you have any recommendations around that, around what, what people could do as they think about their work life? The first step would be to be very honest with yourself, <laughs> you know, because it's like what you want may not be what you need, mm-hmm. but yes, yes, I think it'd be great. So if you learn that you actually, so here's the schedule again, if you don't do well with the schedule, but you also know that you really need the schedule, there might be some compromise between that, right? Or you decide you want to work from home because you are a kappa and you want like less stimulation. You have to be really honest with yourself that you might actually need mm-hmm. that, you know, so, so there's two sides to it is like, yes, create what looks like your both like a physical work environment that you would like and, and the schedule and everything that goes along with work, but also check in and make sure that that's something that is going to bring balance right. to you. Like you're not going to get totally stagnant if you're only working from home and you're a cop. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But no, that's, I think it's a great idea. And I think previously you're right in that you we might have chosen a job based off of what it was offering not even about the work itself right but like what are some of the 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 benefits or the things that that i can view as a benefit um but now you might be able to have both right yeah you could yeah. have the work that you want and have the work environment and the coworkers and the interactions and and all of that mm-hmm. that you want but it it does come down to understanding for everything you choose, is this bringing balance? Is this feeding you? Or is this tipping the scale in the wrong Mm -hmm. direction? Or Mm -hmm. does it have potential to tip the scale in the wrong direction? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not aware or tuned into that, then it could, you're definitely going to set up a scene that is not wonderful. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. Yeah, I felt like even the section on communication style. Well, I highlighted this because I wanted to, um, mm-hmm. I mentioned that there were parts that I read that I felt like you were in my head. In the communication style for Vata Pitta, for example, Avata Pitta's email may have all of Pitta's signature trademarks, key elements bulleted and written in bold, but conclude with with questions or statements with the uncertainty of Vata. If you have time, no rush, depending on how you feel, if it's okay with you. This can not only cause the message to be diluted, but also make the recipient feel like Vata Pitta's commands or action items are optional. Vata Pitta's want to be sensitive and considerate of others, but when this is taken to the extreme, their sensitivity can come through as insecurity, more evidence of the little earth element they have in their constitution. I was like, oh my God. Oh, definition of me. Oh. It's like every set, it's like, is it okay? I yeah. Like, no worries, no rush, no problem if not. So, but like when I read that, what I thought to myself was, you know, when I worked in a magazine environment, that suited me really well because a lot of it was quiet, a lot of it was routine, and a lot of it was was written communication as opposed to verbal communication, which is harder for me. So constitutionally, I didn't know it at the time, but that just was a perfect environment. When I went from there to a different, a more corporate environment, it was still a writing job and it was still an editing job. But but strangely, I had to do a lot of like corporate presentations just to kind of get buy-in like constantly. Mm -hmm. And so it was constantly like, big meetings of people I did not know, I did not work with, like they were not on my team. And I was just having to stand up and constantly do a dog and pony show. And that environment was horrible for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So at the same time, that environment kind of taught me, I mean, I don't, I don't think I would ever consciously place myself in that environment again, because it just doesn't suit me or my strengths. But it did force me to do a little bit, get a little bit more comfortable with being up in front of people and verbalizing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that it's like this constant balance between mm-hmm. like pushing your limits of your mm-hmm. own 
uh, less dominant qualities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you still need, you still need that. We're still made of all of the elements. Mm-hmm. So you still need air, you still need earth, like you still need it all. Mm-hmm. And so even though maybe that's an extreme way of sort of embracing an element, no matter what your constitution is, like getting getting up in front of a crowd, but it was feeding an element that you have. Mm-hmm. It just probably wasn't the biggest, you know, so yeah. it was difficult. So it wasn't, you know, you learned from it and it right. was purposeful, but yeah, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> right. No need to do that for the rest of my life. Whereas yeah. other people would probably prefer that constant like mm-hmm. dog and pony show to sitting down and doing like the routine, quiet, yeah. you know, not a lot of razzle dazzle work that I kind of loved to do at that time. Mm-hmm. The last part that I really am just so wanting to ask you about is the Parents and children having opposing doshas. I mean, interestingly, my kid and I probably have the same one. So, yeah, I would just love to know, oh, my gosh, how how we can take all these principles and apply them to our interactions within our families. Mm-hmm. So, the, with, I mean, if we want to talk specifically about, like, the parent child dynamic and the disclaimer here is I do not have children I have (laughs) a well mostly well-behaved cat (laughs) and like I am not trained to offer like family advice and whatnot at the same time I do understand interactions between different constitutions and I also understand how one in any relationship could be sort of forcing their own qualities or their own experiences on someone else. And so to use myself as an example, and this wasn't necessarily like a parenting thing, but more that growing up being really shy, I was always told just like, just get over it or like, just speak up, you know, speak up. Uh And it's like, I I like physically can't speak (laughs) in this moment. And so would it have been helpful for, t- for someone to say, like, I understand that speaking up is challenging and don't, you know, and don't do it if you're not comfortable. There may be something beneficial that comes out of this if you withstand some of the discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like phrasing it in a different way. Yeah. So for someone, someone who has a different constitution and that is not difficult for them, it would be hard to understand what a child I mean, it's hard to understand what a child is going through anyway, but you have walked the earth in your doshic pants and shoes and hat, and that's how you have viewed life. And so when it comes to looking at how it works for someone else, a child in this way, it's just not going to nurture them in the way that they need to be nurtured. I can think of a specific example too, that I had been working with someone and in a session, she had said, can I just ask you a question about my daughter? And mind you, this woman that I was working with was more Vata than Pitta, but she was a Vata Pitta. So had sort of like, she had the thin bone structure, um, was very interested in health and exercise and being on the go and always being around people. And her daughter was Kapha. So the complete opposite. And she wanted her daughter so badly to play sports and to be involved in these things. And she could not understand why her daughter just wanted to read. And so she's presenting like this conundrum to me as if this is a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this isn't a problem at all. (laughs) You know, yes, I'm sure she needs more encouragement for different things that aren't going to come easy to her. But she's going to be so much happier and healthier if you just let her be her Catholic self. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, that seems like a very, that's a very obvious sort of. No, I think that's that perfect. Way. Like, I mean, because really when you think about it, there may have been some very positive reasons that the mom wanted the kid to exercise more, right? Like you pointed out that mm-hmm. Kava can get kind of stuck and stagnant. So then if, with that lens, the mom can say, okay, 
probably team sports aren't going to be the thing, but like, is there a quiet, you know, thing she could try? Could she try Tai Chi? Could she try yoga? Could she try swimming? Maybe something that's solo, something that's softer. Um, It just gives you that information to put yourself in their type. (laughs) Totally. And to give another example, that's just, it's not an example I've experienced, but just a hypothetical that if you have, like you had talked about how the communication piece resonated with you and it's sort of like, if that's okay. Right. So that would imply that there's a little bit of people pleasing tendencies or, and, or like some need for validation. Right. Yeah. So if your child continues to go out for sports and kind of seems like they're not engaged and, you know, are they doing it for themselves? Or if you know, and can identify your child has more of these vata pitta like tendencies that sort of cause them to question themselves, but to receive validation from others. And here they're getting this praise. I mean, they may even be good at it. They Mm -hmm. might be a great soccer player Mm -hmm. and see you cheering them on and they, they don't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you know that understanding and that goes back to the motivation piece and can kind of sort of understand what doshas can do for us in terms of our motivation spheres and light and shadow and you know what you can kind of recognize this in your child, then you might have more Mm check-ins with them. Mm -hmm. Right. How asking them how something feels or if they really are enjoying. Right. Right. So, so in that scenario, it doesn't really have as much to do with the parent either having the same or different constitutions. It's more about the parent going, okay, let's, let's just pan out for a second. Let's see, like, what's the track record up to now? Are they worried to tell me that they got in trouble at school? Okay. Well, that's, you know, there's some people pleasing in that, right? Like there's some fear around that. So if you can see it and you can see that there are some patterns and you can also go, okay, that, yes, I see what elements that, that shows me are present in them. What else might be there? Yeah. What else might I, what, what else could I support Mm -hmm. for this person? Mm -hmm. this child. Mm -hmm. I think it's super important. So, yeah, it's so interesting because I think we, we often think like if only other people could be more like us, it's not a conscious thought, right? It's like an unconsciously everybody could just agree with what I'm thinking or do what I tell them to do or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. When really like, that's not the answer. You know, the answer is to actually understand where you're motivations and fears are Mm -hmm. and then try to understand theirs and then just try to work together to come to a place that works Mm -hmm. for for both of you or yeah totally I have this (laughs) I definitely sometimes think why wouldn't it have been done this way you know when I see something that I think should have been done different in a different way and so I've always had this mantra of like, there must be a reason, like there must be a reason why this was this way. I sort of sort through like every scenario. No, that's a really that's helpful, good. Right. There yes. must be a reason that it may not be my reason. Like the reason isn't, you know, their motivation was not the same motivation. Yeah. If I'm walking around feeling like everything should be in its place and everything should have organization and everything should have a reason, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) then not everything's going to be done the way that I think it should Mm -hmm. be done. Mm -hmm. Buildings aren't going to be made the way that I think they should be made. Like, you know, know, like it's it's schedules, you know, oh my gosh, that's huge. Nothing is going to be like that. Nothing will be. So if you can kind of go, okay, there must be a reason. And that's kind of what understanding your dosha and other people's dosha is really all about. Like, there must be a reason. There must be a reason why I can't let this conversation go. Like, Mm -hmm. there must be a reason why I'm ruminating on Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. There is a reason. (laughs) There's a reason. (laughs) That's such a compassionate little phrase right there. I'm going to use that with my kid because she's just getting to the age. She's a tween. So she's just mm-hmm. getting to the age where she's noticing that people aren't doing things the way she wants them done or expects them to be mm-hmm. done. And is very like sassy and judgy about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's really hard because I don't really want her to just, like, I always tell her, you know, you have to be respectful 
But I don't want her to just uh, accept authority out of hand. Right. Like that's not really my yeah. personal philosophy. And I think yeah. I was raised too much that way. So it's like, and also like, there's a lot of adults that are just not trustworthy. <laughs> you know, you realize yes, that. True. So yeah. you want yeah. them to be discerning, yes. but there yeah. also has to be like compassionate for other people. Right. But I think too, that if you say, if you, if you were to use it, like there must be a reason it's giving the opportunity to question, Mm -hmm. like to think about something from another person's perspective, but you can still say, that's not how I would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) might not be how you would do it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's life. That's really, that's how it goes. Like not everybody's going to do things the way you do Mm -hmm. them. Darn it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I know. That's so good. All right. Well, I think that's a good note to stop on. Tell me, Sarah, how people can study with you and where, and I know you're going through some shifts in your work life. So mm-hmm. I'm going through through some, some shifts in my work life. So people will be able to work with me in a, an easier fashion virtually in the next year in 2023. And same thing in two in person, if you're near where I am in Kansas city, Missouri, in the meantime, my website, sarahfuchera.com has some resources and I'm social on Instagram, um, which is Sarah underscore Kuchera. And those are the ways. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And Sarah, I'd love I was to say, meet people. I was <laughs> saying your last name wrong and I should have known it's the Italian way, Kuchera. Well, it's not Italian. It's oh, it's Czech. Not. Yeah. Oh, wow. Such mm-hmm. a pretty name. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I know. I should have asked Everyone a long knows. time ago. <laughs> Maybe you weren't saying it wrong. You were just saying it. <laughs> for a different reason. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It still rhymes. It yeah. still rhymes. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. I'm so excited to share your book with everybody and, and for you. everyone to, to get a chance to read it. It's so beautifully written and go out and get it. It's, it's really helpful. Thank you. I love talking with you. <laughs> it's <was> so fun. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. I hope you enjoyed connecting with Sarah a little bit and I hope you go out and get her book. I will put show notes with links to her book and her previous book and her previous episode on the show notes page at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 279. And you know what to do. Follow the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what's working for you. Share it on the socials. All of it is incredibly helpful. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss an episode either, like I said, follow it on your app. It's called follow now. It used to be like subscribe. They're always changing it. It's follow now. Or you can sign up for our newsletter and I send out all the new episodes in the newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. All right, everyone. Lots of love until next week. Enjoy your practice.